podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is the Talking Texas Podcast. My name is Daniel. Uh, Half Hope is in the building. Carl is in the building, but not to worry. We got our, our guy forward on for the second time. How you doing? I'm doing good, my bro. I'm doing good. Good you to be back on the show. Say, I was going to say, how you doing, mate? And then I realized, I don't say that word. I don't use the word <laughs> mate. But because of your accent, I was going to say mate. <laughs> I had to catch myself like that's not you. You're just doing that because he sounds, you know. No, that's cool. actually that's actually funny. Like to be honest, I was even having a conversation with a friend, like talking about how you know how Lukaku's accent changes depending on who he's doing an interview with, and you'll sometimes hear his American. Yeah, like I feel like just y'all humans, you naturally kind man. of acclimate to people. Why y'all tripping? Y'all tripping? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, um. Mad. Where where can people find you online before we before we get going? Yeah, it's at forward underscore one hundred on Twitter. So um, yeah, you can catch me there. Yeah, the link will be in the description. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at Talking Tactics. I'm at Daniel to look half hope passes half hope football dot com. Carl's on the athletic. You know, all the links are in the description. So let's get into this. Let's start. It wasn't the first game of the week chronologically, but maybe the most important game of the week, at least in Premier League terms. Leicester 4, United 2. Yep. Interesting result. Maybe not a shock anymore, considering how good Leicester have been over the past few years, but um, maybe more of a confirmation about what Ali is or isn't. What was your reading on the match? I feel like this really just encapsulates what Ali Ball is, essentially. Kind of summarizes his tenure at the club, because... For me, again, not a surprise in terms of the result or even the things that happened in the game. Like with United scoring two goals, one through individual brilliance from Greenwood, 30-yard strike, amazing cut inside from the right. And then second goal from Lindelof, ball over the top. Rashford speeded behind and it's a good finish. But like we've seen for many months and many years now in Oli's tenure, they concede very silly goals. Like we saw with obviously Maguire dilly-dallying on the ball Mm. and then obviously punished expertly by that chip from Tielemans. And then I'm obviously conceding from set pieces, which you've seen often before. But I think the biggest issue for United was just the lack of identity in their play. The fact that they really struggled to build possession and sustain attacks. And then also just the lack of a press. I mean, the amount of times they're still able to pass right through the lines between Pogba and Matic, you were quite languid in the midfield, very cumbersome. And it just looked like a team full of very good players, very good individuals, but not really having any kind of identity. Again, if you're doing a combined 11 of, oh, which team has the better players? Yeah, you would say it's United, but it was Leicester that actually looked like a cohesive unit on the pitch. So not necessarily a surprise, but I think for United fans, especially for those who are maybe of the old school mentality, you want to back the manager till the walls fall off. I think you're seeing now that the car is screeching. I don't know if Oli's at the wheel anymore. Maybe there's a clown at the wheel. It's it's looking mad right now. It's looking very hazy. And <laughs> let's be real. It's a what circus. are the signs that... It is a full-blown circus at this point. And if you look at it right now, Oli spent hundreds of millions on this team. And obviously, we're going to get into some of the individuals and some of the protagonists in this story. But when you have a summer like Varane coming into your team, Sancho coming into your team, and then you buy Ronaldo at the last minute, taking it from your, your closest rivals, that is a great window. I think any team would be happy to have that window. And that would make any of the big teams favorites. But when you have a window like that, it mounts significant pressure on the manager to perform and to get results. And to this point, it is not that they're trending in the right direction. So a lot of questions need to be asked. 
Have you seen the pressing numbers just to pick one of those points that you hit? I don't know where I saw this. It was on Twitter, no doubt. But someone was compiling the number of presses per 90 minutes of basically all the forwards, no pun intended, in England. The last one on the list was Cristiano. Then it was Lukaku. Then it was somebody else. I think St. Maximin was down there as well. St. Maximin, exactly. That was another one. And then Greenwood was fourth or fifth. If you're playing Greenwood and Ronaldo together, and of the forwards in the Premier League, they're two of the bottom six, those per 90 pressing numbers, that's not good. It's not conducive to winning football, I don't think. Especially, as you say, when you're playing against somebody who knows what they're doing, like a Leicester would do. So... Perhaps we could get into, and I've seen Madrid fans talk about this, Cristiano playing as a straight out-and-out striker, like in the number nine position, probably isn't the best. But if you have all of these attacking wingers, you know, the Greenwoods, Rashfords, Martials, Sancho's, like players who who can play in wide areas, if we have to fit them all in the team, then Ronaldo playing up top seems like it makes sense. But... The way that that changes your team, first in the defensive aspect of pressing and then the offensive aspect of everything is going through him. So, yeah, he might get his goal a game, but what does what is the knock-on effect to other players? Are they going to score as much? I don't think United will miss out on top four or anything like that, but I wonder if they'll score because they have someone who will get a lot of goals, but he's he's going to be taking goals from players who, if he wasn't there, they would score, if that makes sense. So I don't Mm. know how much better they are. And then we can get into the midfield configuration. Loki, you can't blame Fred on this one. (laughs) McFred. (laughs) Like, that was that's everybody's go-to. Like, yo, Fred, it's Fred's fault. It's Fred's fault. This is how I felt forward as as a Chelsea guy. You'll know exactly what I mean. Like, when Willian didn't play... It was the greatest. If Chelsea lost and Willian did not touch pitch, I was so happy because you know what? You guys can't blame Willian anymore. So who is it? Who's really at fault here? Frank Lampard. Like, but who's who's really at fault? <laughs> slight jab. Slight Let's jab. not open that kind of words, please. <laughs> please, please. <laughs> but like, yeah, who's really at fault here? So if Fred doesn't play, now, now, we, now we really have to investigate this because the scapegoat's gone. So who is it really? Then we can get into the defense. I mean, playing Maguire off the injury, he didn't look good at all. So we have the problems at the top of the pitch, in the middle of the pitch, in defense. I suppose you can say De Gea is De Gea. Um, the Tillemans goal. Geez, I don't know if anybody's stopping that one. So there's problems everywhere. Bro, to be honest, we can spend the entire podcast talking about the different positions. like Because it's mad in itself. Like When you look at the actual configuration of this United team, like, they're trying to build a team that passes up from the back. Yeah, you spent 50 million on Wambasaka, who's, by all accounts, not great with his feet. You've brought in Varane now. Again, quality centre-back, great experience. So now you're trying to play a higher line. But now you're accommodating for Maguire, who's extremely slow. And yes, he had a great tournament with England at the Euros. But that was predicated on a back line which stayed in place. and had two DMs who would sit in front and protect them. And obviously Maguire being a box defender, yeah, he can do that. As a, he can do that. We saw him do it for Leicester. But for United, it's a different story when you're playing a high line. Mm. The midfield, again, with United, with Oli, and obviously, like for me, I'm a fan who likes to listen to 
managers and, and how they speak in their in their press conferences after games. We try and get as much of how they're actually feeling because yes, the press conferences can be like can be just used as to just deflect into whatever things they want to talk about. But you do get little snippets here and there of what they're actually talk telling the players or what are actually key principles for their styles, for their philosophy. And with Oli, he's always talking about pressing and the United DNA, which is all about a certain level of energy you need to play with. Mm. Yet in the midfield, it's Matic and Pogba. And <laughs> again, individually good players, but those are not players you are good for pressing. You you would not do word association with those two and come up with energy. Exactly. 100%. Like... And again, if you're playing a three-man midfield, then maybe you can accommodate the two of them if you've got a workhorse alongside them like a Fred. But then if the third man in that midfield is Bruno Fernandes, who mm. essentially plays like a second striker, mm. then all of a sudden you're basically playing 4-2-4 because your other wingers are Greenwood and Sancho who are mainly attackers. You've not got players like a Lingard, maybe who can be a bit of a role player. Like you've seen guys do for the likes of Ronaldo at different clubs. And again, obviously that's the issue of the midfield. And now going back to the, the forward line, it's difficult for Ronnie, I can't lie. It's, it's very difficult for him right now because... He's come back to the Prem. It's his whole big homecoming. He had the, the, that great debut against Newcastle. With him, obviously, always going to be compared to Lionel Messi, whether you sit on one side of the argument or the other. Us as fans, generally, it's a case of, oh, did Messi score this weekend? Okay, how did, how did CR7 do? And then vice versa. So that's this own pressure that's always going to be a narrative around Man United. And now he's come to a dysfunctional Man United team with a rookie as manager, with a man who's captain, Maguire, he has more relegations on his CVs than he has trophies. Hey, You've got a team that's not won a trophy. I mean, it's just a fact, bro. It's <laughs> a team, while it's, while it's a team that has winners in it in terms of players who have won big trophies, they've not won big trophies with this United team. Again, the last time they won a massive trophy was the Europa League, but the only existing players from then are the likes of Pogba, Rashford. I think those are the only real mainstays from that, that team. I think Rick Shaw... Bye. He's not playing... Exactly. And again, that's the more poor management from Oli because bear in mind, Maguire was only 50% fit to play this game. Yeah. And you can't trust Bayi to play this game. I mean, we're going to come on to Chelsea obviously a little bit later, but Tuchel mm. with injuries and obviously Thiago Silva being not able to play because of the Brazilian, everything that's gone on with the Brazilians. Mm. He trusted Saar to play. He trusted Shalaba to play and alongside Christensen, a back three that we've never seen before. And obviously, shaky performance, but we got the result in the end. With Oli, can you not trust Bayou to play? Because this is Bayou. He was signed as a number one for, for, United, for United back in the day. And alongside Lindelof, that's, that was their first team. That was their first choice partnership a few years ago. So it's, it's quite strange that you wouldn't be able to trust him in a, to trust him to play a game like this coming off the, the international break. So again, more shaky management from Oli. But again, going back to Ronaldo, just to end on this point, we know as Chelsea fans that obviously... We've signed Lukaku and obviously following the Lukaku story, he went to United, scored a bag of goals. But obviously once Oli came in, he was more in favour of the more mobile strikers, guys who were going to press from the front. And eventually Lukaku was surplus to requirements. He goes to Inter Milan, wins the league there. Obviously we know the story with him. Mm. So then United go on by Cavani. It makes a bit of sense. He can press from the front, obviously experienced. Martial's fallen out of favour because he's not that kind of not that kind of strike he's going to press from the front a bit. Obviously, they're more in favour of the likes of Rashford of Greenwood. But then now you go and panic by Cristiano Ronaldo. So as well as the narrative of the pressure that comes with buying a player like that, because you don't buy players like Ronaldo, Varane, Sancho to not win trophies, which is something that United haven't done in a few years. You buy those guys to win now. 
But on top of that, you've had, you've bought a guy who doesn't actually fit the one thing of your of your philosophy that us fans from the outside feel like we know what you want to do, which is to press from the front. Mm. Other than that, we don't know what Oli wants to do in terms of building up from the back. Are you a team that wants to cross the ball in a lot? Is there a certain type of goal that United score regularly? No, it's just individual brilliance. But the one thing that we hear you say is we want we want, we want to press from the front. We want this United DNA if we play fast, attack, 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 glory man United, all of that, all of that, all of that jazz. But yet you put Ronaldo <laughs> up front, he's going to walk around for 90 minutes. It just doesn't quite work. So uh, that's why matches like this are going to, they're going to happen. They're going to happen where they're very inconsistent. They're very, they're just a team that can do anything. And now when you look at the results coming up, a bit, I don't know if you've seen the results. So there are um, fixtures coming up, DT, but it's looking extremely sticky. I mean, starting with Atlanta in midweek in the Champions League. Liverpool and then, on the weekend. I mean, oof. I mean, Sa- yeah, Salah on the weekend, bro. I mean, it's it's looking a bit tight for for, we'll for Maguire we'll and them. And uh, by the way, I I looked up uh, the 2017 Europa League final. Bay wasn't there, so the team was Romero, uh, Valencia, Smalling, Blind, Darmian, Herrera at the base of the midfield, four three three. Fellaini, Pogba, the front three was Mata, Rashford, and Mkhitaryan, mm. and the substitutes. Funny enough. Martial, Lingard, and remember when he threw on Wayne Rooney, just because. Yep. So of the players that played, Martial's still there, Lingard's still there, Pogba and Rashford, and Mata, obviously, but you know, he doesn't really play like that. The rest of them, mm. I think they're all gone. Where were you going before I rudely interrupted you with four years ago Europa League? <laughs> no, I had finished the point, but just to elaborate on that a little bit further, it's, again, the only players existing from a United team that's won trophies it's Pogba and Rashford. Everybody else, yes, you brought in guys who have won trophies, the likes of Varane, the likes of Sancho has won the, the, the German Cup, um, obviously Cavani, obviously now Ronaldo, but they've not won in this team, in this collective. So it's... Mm-hmm. it's, it's and then it's the manager sticky, doesn't know either. Like, I mean, obviously as a player, he would have experience. Did he win anything when he was... Obviously he got relegated with Cardiff. Or maybe he got mm. sacked before they got relegated. I don't. I don't remember exactly how that worked. But you know, he was presiding over a relegated team for much of the season. Then he went to. Did he go back home to Norway and was coaching yeah, some went, team there? Yeah, went Molda. back home to Molda. Um, I think he failed to win the did league in his first season there. So, so he's won something. Yeah, so I think he failed to win the league in his first season. Then he, oh no, sorry, he won it in his first season. Mm-hmm. He was failing to retain it in the second season, which is when United came calling after the Mourinho saga. And then the manager who took over, then won the league the next season. So yeah, winning the league with Mulder isn't quite a great achievement. <laughs> certainly not. Certainly not something to put on your CV, which says, oh yeah, I'm ready to be Man United manager. No chance. <laughs> Hold on, okay. You know, I'm contemplating changing the name of this podcast to Wikipedia Merchants, but we're not going to do that. Um, <laughs> as a manager, okay, he won the Norwegian League twice, 2011 and 2012, and they won the Football Cup in 2013. So for for whatever that's worth, okay, uh, I missed out a league title window. I'll give him that. I'll give him that. Yes, but also yeah, there's he has, I think back to back leagues. There you go. Okay, fair enough. But in he's also got a relegation on his on the CV too, which is, I mean, deep it, bro. Maguire's got, I think, three relegations on his CV. Oli Gunnar has got a relegation on his CV. These are the the like the pinnacle guys in Manchester United. Growing up, that didn't I couldn't even compute. I mean, I was used to seeing obviously Sir Alex Ferguson being such a huge face of the club, 
and guys like Rio Ferdinand, Nemanja Vidic, obviously Gary Neville, I'm not a fan of him as a pundit, but as a player, he was, you know, he was the epitome of what United were, and that was a winning club. And look at them now, the likes of Maguire and Oli as like the faces of the club. It just doesn't quite fit. We got a question from Jax365. I'll throw this in here so we don't have to come back to it later. Um, if Oli gets sacked during the next international break, who should United appoint as manager? Who will they actually appoint? Who, who do you think would be good of the available names? I've seen Conte. I've seen Zidane. Mm. I don't think Zidane is going to ever manage in the Premier League. So really, Conte is the only name that really shouts out to me. So mm. I, well, those are the... No, no, I was just going to say, that's who I would go for. I think that's who they will go for. Mm. Well, those are the two most logical names because they're the ones that are available. Um, obviously, Zidane, it's a question of whether he would want to manage in the Premier League. And the standout, and obviously with Conte, I feel like it's almost the opposite. It's, there's like certainly a, a huge like desire to want to come back to the Premier League and manage. And I think a job like Man United appearing for him would be something that would be most ideal for him. And I feel like with his CV of getting the best out of, of aging squads, of squads that are like kind of ready to like be there, not that the process needs to be built in terms of what we're building to like a three, four year plan. No, it's the pieces are there. We need somebody to put it all together and make a winning team. And I think Conte will believe he can do that. And he done it with Chelsea, with a team that had won the league two years prior with Mourinho. Then obviously had that off-season, which we don't like to talk about. And then obviously he Conte came mm. in, lost a couple of his early games, changed the formation to three at the back and then went on in a brilliant winning run. Then obviously done something similar with Inter Milan in his second season to win the league. Um, so I think for Conte, it would be a good fit. But then you look at the reverse and for Man United, is Conte a good fit? It's a difficult one just because of with, with United, they talk a lot about, you know, their DNA and what the club needs to represent. Obviously, attack, attack, attack. So a certain type of football, which is pleasing to the fans. I don't know if Conte necessarily represents that. Now, are they that desperate that they'll be willing to go for him? Because, you know, the football under Oli right now, was that impressive to anybody? I don't think it really is. So I feel like maybe Conte is the front runner in that case. I know, obviously, in the past, there were huge links with Pochettino and I think he was actually the main target for them post Mourinho. And it was mm-hmm. only that Oli was meant to be a stopgap. But obviously, he went on that amazing winning run, which obviously... PSG, yeah. PSG obviously climaxing with the PSG. But I mean, there were so many big game wins in the league before that. And this form was incredible. And obviously, I'm sure you remember the, the, the famous meme of Rio saying that he's got to sign that contract, sign it now. And oh, BT, I mean, yeah. Oof. I mean, ever since that, boy, the form has been a bit mad. <laughs> it's been a bit techy. And that's, that's despite spending, what, 300, 400 million, which is crazy. But even yeah. speaking of 300, 400 million, that's exactly what Conte would want to spend if he was given the given the chance. And I think that's probably going to be the, the biggest allure for him. Listen, if they sign him, more power to them, bro. Like, let's see you try to win with, I don't know who you try to get at this point. Uh, let's sign Giroud. Let's sign Marcus Alonso from Chile. Like, like if he if that's what he wants, Zappa Costas and the Drinkwaters and all those guys. Like, yo, let, let's let's see how United fans handle that. <laughs> Trust me, it's not easy. <laughs> like, who are these men? You know, you know. Uh, let me not rant about Zappa Costa at all, because I'll just be angry. If you want Conte, you have to accept what comes with him. You'll probably win something. But at what cost? Because it's going to crash and burn after two years when he wants his money and he doesn't get it. Um, mm. Let's just remove Liverpool from the docket. So that was the first game. 5-0 against Watford. Salah, Mane, Nino hat trick. It's looking kind of scary, man. It is Watford, though. This is Watford tax. 
Yeah. But it's looking scary still. The I mean, goal. this is the... Uh, bro, I mean, honestly, I wanted to lead with Liverpool because I was just blown away by the 90 minutes that I watched there. And yes, it is a bit of a caveat that it is Watford at the end of the day. Uh, no new manager bounce. Um, Ranieri. <laughs> Ranieri. I mean, <laughs> is he going to be getting a P45 soon? Because, damn, that was awful. Do you know awful. how many clubs like, he's managed? I think I counted 16. I was going to guess 15. Yeah, he's, he's, it's up there. <laughs> it's definitely up there. And I want to know how many of those clubs he's been. It's 16 different clubs, but he's been hired like 19 or 20 different times. Or I say clubs. There's, I think he managed, I want to say Greece. One of those clubs. He, he managed one international team in there. Again, Wikipedia emergency. The list of clubs is long, and he doesn't stay anywhere long. I think the longest he stayed was Fiorentina in like 93 to 96 or 7. It was just a, But since then, just two years at Roma, one year at Leicester, one year at Juventus, another year at Inter, one year at here. Like, it's just like, like do you just like being sacked? Or, you know what? <laughs> Maybe he just, bro, if, if they're going to offer me money, what do you say? Dilly ding, dilly, whatever he's at, whatever he's dilly saying. Dilly ding, dilly gone, bro. Like, you get inside, you get in that serpent's package every time, bro. Exactly. Like, if you're going to sign me to a two-year deal and only make me uh, manage for one, so I'm going to get paid from you and then get a job from somebody else, so I'm getting paid twice at the same time? Of course, why not? Mm. Make the money. I never do manager bounce at all for him, but um, I mean, obviously, I wish him the best. Obviously, he liked Ranieri a lot, but it's going to be a tough job for him at, at Watford. But the, the people don't want to listen to us talk about Watford and Ranieri with, with all due respect. <laughs> they they want to hear no, us talk on, about just, only just one one last thing. On. You know, he's managed so many different clubs. When I was thinking of the different clubs, I forgot Chelsea. I forgot totally blanked that, like, oh yeah, like when I first mm, started. Yeah, when I first started, uh, you know. Ripping supporting this, this great club, God forbidden, forsaken. Go on, go on, get it, get it out, get it out. He was there, no, he was there, he was there. Like, that was my first manager, <laughs> if you want to put it that way. Um, mm. done a good job, too. Got done a good job, too. Got us um, into the Champions League, beat yeah, Liverpool on the final day. Just way to bring it back, way to bring it back to Liverpool. No, we got to so, do, yeah. but um. Listen, bro, listen, listen. You know listen, he's listen. equal with Drogba on goals now. Yeah, it's mad, bro. The legacy for Salah right now is 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 mad. I mean, you maybe even get can get to a discussion of where Salah is in, in the in the history of the Premier League, but just just for right now, Salah, bro, he's moving nuts. Like, bro, when he first picked up the ball in like the first two minutes and like he just kicked it past Danny Rose and then got on the end of it. Like when I saw that, I said, "Yeah, it's over. It's over." Like he's gonna destroy these men today. It's it's peak. Danny Rose is and yes, like, uh, like he's enjoying I mean, the nightlife. I heard he didn't have any preseason. He was just yeah, he was just living up, <laughs> living up back in London. <laughs> yeah, because he spent a couple of years in in Newcastle, um, and obviously uh, the, the money ain't there in Newcastle yet. So I don't know about the knife like the nightlife there, but. Yeah, yeah, I heard he's been enjoying it. No, no, no. You London, know what? But, um... I've seen. Aren't there reality shows of like people in the Geordie Shore? Isn't that isn't, Geordie isn't that Shore? Them? Yeah, it's good. Isn't okay, I'll, I'll give it its credit. Sorry. Yeah, it's them. It's them. It's them. Yeah, it's good. So, it's yeah, good. Be, it's, I'm saying it's not London. Up. It's going to be Abu Dhabi Shore next. <laughs> we'll get onto that. <laughs> we'll get onto that. But on for, on point on 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 topic, Salah, one of the best players in the world right now. 
not even just on form, but just how he's playing in general right now, because this level of performance that we're seeing from Salah is, is, is different. For me, he was kind of similar to the guys like Bruno Fernandes. And again, I don't want to make it sound like I'm putting him down in terms of what he was doing, because he was getting goals, he was getting assists, and he was contributing to Liverpool. And again, I give him huge credit for his performances last season at a time where half the Liverpool team took the season off. Again, Van Dijk was injured, there was the whole centre-back crisis, but Salah was the one consistent in terms of performances. Mane had a very off-season. Firmino, I think, got like maybe four or five goals in all competitions, but Salah still contributed with 20-plus goals. And to be fair for me, I feel like my favourite season from Salah since he's returned was his first season in 17-18. And obviously, I remember that like that culminated with him getting the arm injury, sorry, the shoulder injury in the Champions League final. But I feel like his performances in that run was 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 top quality. Yes, he may have scored more goals in a season since then and won the Golden Boot and things like that. But I feel like his overall play, his ability to dribble past players, his playmaking was 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 up there. It was it was it was top quality. And I think since he's gone more to being like a goal scorer, which is good. That's what you got to do. You got to prioritize what's going to help you win games. It doesn't necessarily need to be pretty, like. For example, Ronaldo, his transition from being like an all-encompassing winger to just being more of like a, just a penalty box striker in the last few years. And I felt like Salah was kind of going that way. But this season, bro, he's been on a different a different kind of mindset, bro. Like the way he's picking up the ball and just body checking, man, running through them, dropping dropping bodies on the floor. Like it's, it's just mad. <laughs> like the goal against City, like when he first bumped Cancelo, I was just like, oh, he just felt like something was about to happen here and then ran at Laporte, turned him inside out, finished it with his right foot. That was that was a brazy goal, brazy goal. But then what he did to Watford, yeah, with the oh, whole drag back, with four men around him, went to the outside, cut Kafka, sent him the to... Ball mm. And just, like it was fast, It's like you're not supposed to be able to really do that against professional defenders and then get your way out of it. And then on top of that, beat the keeper... The angle will look kind of acute for like Foster is not bad, and I think mm. the assist for Mane's goal was probably better than mm. perhaps even the goal or like the maybe more surprising because we don't really associate him with that kind playmaking. of playmaking with yeah. that ability to pass because that was more like a, a Kevin De Bruyne kind of pass, like mm. it was just cut the what for defense in half. Oh, beautiful stuff. Let me let me ask you the question. All right, where do you rank him right now in, in the world? Because for me, I feel like. There's some there's some clear front runners. We're talking more just on form, so we're gonna put the likes on, on Messi, form? Ronaldo. He's okay, yeah. He's second. Because for me, it's between Messi. Sorry, it's between Salah, Benzema, and Lewandowski mm-hmm. right now. Right, and so I, I'm putting Salah second. I'm putting Benzema number one, Salah two, Lewandowski third. Mm. If we're talking goal scores, you know, all players on form like this very second, Edward Mendy. But talk about it. Well, we're gonna talk about it. We're gonna talk about we'll it. We'll get there. Well, I, but I, the, you I know, like nobody, like nobody that. wants to give goalkeepers love. But I'm just saying, like, if you're talking like who's the best player in the world, like this very second, or like based on the last game they played, mm. it's number sixteen for Chelsea. <laughs> All right, you know, we can talk about Chelsea. We can get there. You know, I don't want to spend like thirty minutes on this, although I know we could. Chelsea aren't good. They're just functional, which is all right, I guess, if you want to win games. But Chelsea are not good to watch. They're not fun to watch. Ford and I have gone back and forth on this for ages, I I, I think. So are you happy with where your team is? Or are you seeing, I think, you know, it could improve. I think where our team is, is is top of the league for a start. 
Um, it's top of the league for a start. You know, all the talk about, you know, Liverpool being back to their best, Salah best player in the world, Man City being the best team in the world and all that. that they're you know, if I tell you I'm um, trying not to smoke cigarettes and you buy me cigarettes, you're like an evil person. I <laughs> know, <laughs> uh, but look, no, the point, the point on, on a real, though, on a real, we've, with, again, you make the point about they're not entertaining and I get from like a fan perspective, if you're just trying to be entertained, Chelsea's not the ticket you want to buy right now. It's It's functional, like you said. It's um, it's very possessive, like the football. Like when I look at Tuchel as a coach, it's all about control for him. Like how do I mitigate risk? How do I make sure that my team is in control of the game, whether it's with possession, but just safe possession? Or okay, if a team's gonna attack us, then let me get my five in a very strict, in a very organized defensive shape with the three midfielders in front, and then I got two relatively fast strikers up front to release pressure on the breakaway. That's kind of where Tuchel is trending to now. And <clears throat> when it comes to Chelsea, I wouldn't say that we're not on the level of Liverpool and Man City because we're not as entertaining to watch. I feel like we need to make the distinction between what's entertaining and what's actually effective because mm. the way the way Chelsea play is effective. It's not pretty, yes. And obviously there's some issues which we probably will need to get into in terms of creativity. It's again, it's like people will appreciate obviously the Salas of the world, the Benzemas of the world, the Lewandowski, because we're all here to watch people score goals. But at the same time, there is still a there is still an equal measure of praise or at least respect that you need to give to defenders for being able to defend. Now, this game against Brentford wasn't our best showcase of defending, I'll be real. Even though we kept the clean sheet and most of that will have to go to Edouard Mendy. The defending obviously wasn't great. But having said that, for the entire season, when Rudiger's playing, when Thiago Silva's playing, when is playing in his best position, you see a very good, very strong defence, which has kept, which has, sorry, conceded less goals than both Liverpool and Man City this season. We've only conceded three. Two of them being penalties. Some of them were quite dubious in how they were given. And then the other one was a deflected shot from Jesus with, um, against Man City. So, again, I feel like that part of the game was doing well. Now, what I want to say now is, in terms of the attack, because it's clear, we can talk about the game and say, oh yeah, Mendy had, made a, had a great performance, which he did. We can maybe talk about Ruben Loftus-Cheek, which I think we maybe we need to get to. Mm. <clears throat> I feel like we need to really, actually, no, sorry, we are going to talk about Ruben Loftus-Cheek. I don't care. We're talking about <laughs> it. But with Chelsea right now, I feel like the defence is fine. I feel like it's good. And to maybe unearth one of the debates that we've had, DT, you've spoken okay. about how you feel like the three at the back system is quite pragmatic. I don't call um, it three at the back. Don't... I think you guys, nah, it's five. Y'all got to stop okay. with that. Five. <laughs> okay. Uh, Chilwell <laughs> and Aspilicueta are not attackers. I hate when people call it it's three at the back. No, he's putting five guys back there. I'm trying not to use the N-word because mm. I'm emotional about this. But he's putting five <laughs> guys back there. It's not three. Go ahead. No, I hear that. And you know what? I feel you when you're saying you 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 feel emotional about it because I can't I can't like while I'm happy to see Chelsea win no matter what. And you know, I've experienced sufferable with Conte when it, when it wasn't pretty. <laughs> like I've experienced all of that. I've been with there with the highs and the lows with Chelsea. I understand all of that. But like yeah. even though we're winning and I, I appreciate it and I'm happy to see us winning because on the Lampard it was it was fun, but at the end it was you know, it was it was tough. Hard to hard to watch. Mm. But at the same time, my heart my heart doesn't my heart will still be burning watching Kovacic take 30 yard free kicks. Oh. Like seeing us have no dribblers on the pitch, nobody who's going to go past them and 1v1. You, know, yes, you have... know, this is the worst thing about where I'm at with Chelsea right now. Mm. The good things, I don't enjoy them, but the bad things still burn. Kovacic mm. taking free kicks, are you dumb? Have you seen <laughs> when, when, when has he ever scored? I can't recall, like, oh, that's a good goal from Kovacic, like maybe one or two. 
in like three, four seasons. I don't know, how long has he been here? Sorry, low on Lampard, Lampard, Tuchel. Four, four years. I think he scored one or two good goals. He scored Why two he goals. He scored one games? goal against Aston Villa. And I think the other goal he scored was back and it was like two years ago. The Who's making shot these decisions? The box. Yeah. It's mad. So I feel you on that, bro. I, I really do. But so to the point look, is that... You can take a free kick, but you better not shoot. This better be like from the training ground. Like, oh, he's going to pass it to Lukaku. Like, it, there better be some, some something. <laughs> you can't just be a direct shot. Nah... It it makes me mad, but like if it, if the goal went in, I don't th- I would not react to like yeah come on like that's not me anymore. <laughs> I'm just like why <laughs> who who thought to put in there? It just it makes me angry. I feel sorry for the people on the timeline because it's it's just it's bare negativity. Like that's all it is. But that's all I feel at this moment in time. It's just like like mm. well, why? <sighs> it sounds like you're in bondage with this club, my friend. But um, <laughs> we may need to turn it's therapy <laughs> It's tough. It's tough. But I feel you on the, on the Kovacic thing. And I feel like it just, it basically paints a wider picture of, oh, Kovacic taking free kicks. Is that like a bad thing? Oh, that's that's the downfall of Chelsea. Why are you guys being so downbeat with top of the league? I understand that. But we're putting that to the we're putting that to the side. We're talking about the actual aesthetics of the team right now. When it's clearly mm-hmm. not right when you've got a midfielder who doesn't score taking free kicks. Like, again, I made the point earlier that we have no dribblers in, in the team when that's starting most games because Tuchel's now gone from a 3-4-3 three, three, or as you say a 5-2-3 yes. to now a 5-3-2 with two yes. strikers you are again they're good in transition with plenty of space to run at players but they're not dribblers they're not going to go past men in, in a low block um, then you've got three midfielders now Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Kovacic are good ball carriers actually I would even throw Kanti in there. I think he was our best dribbler against Brentford in terms of carrying the ball into the final third but they're not 1v1 guys. They're not like, again, this is my thing. Like You have to compare Chelsea to previous Chelsea teams that were great and also any other great team that you've seen over the last five, ten years. Anyone that you want to pick, whether it's Barcelona in their heyday, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, Liverpool, Man City, all of those teams have dribblers. You can't pick any one of those teams out and say, oh, they didn't have like a specific dribbler. And even with Chelsea, our best recently, we obviously had Eden Hazard who could dribble past players and take and like take the game to the low block and go mm. past two or three man open up space for a striker like a Diego Costa to go and score and that's what we lacking right now your best in terms of service for that's dumb exactly and that's if Ruben Loftus-Cheek is your deepest midfielder and he's your best dribbler well Kovacic and him can have the argument about who's the better better dribbler but either mm. way they're both deeper than Conte Conte likes to go ahead and get forward I can't believe I'm about to say this are they asking <laughs> Timo Werner and Romelu Lukaku to beat a man off the dribble? Is that what is is that what Tugo's asking? Because Ziyech is on the bench. Hudson Adoy is on the bench. And even if they were playing, they wouldn't work necessarily in that system. So you'd have to change it to the 5-2-3, right? Mm. Even Mount. Mount's on the bench. So you ask basically he's saying, okay, what I want you to do is I want you to kick it up to Lukaku, and Lukaku is gonna somehow control it. Werner's going to use his pace in behind to maybe score. Or Werner's going to run and that's going to create space or something. But it's not going to be a function of you're beating a man. It's going to be because of the system somehow. And it's bad to watch. Now, again, Chelsea are top of the league because it's functional. You can put Malang Sar in a debut in a back five and he'll work. Why? Because he has cover. It didn't work for like the last... 20 minutes of the game because there was nobody to win aerial duels, which is, do I really want to say this? There's a defender at West Ham who wears the number four shirt. 
who Why'd you have to bring him up, bro? Uh, eating all of those aerial balls <laughs> that Brentford were just lumping and lumping that Christensen couldn't deal with. Um, Sar, it's his first game. I don't know how tall he is, but he's not that big. But he's not a, a an aerial guy. I think that's been proven. And who was the third center back? Uh, Trevor Chalabot. He is six two, but obviously he's, he's not he's built young, really into know, his, 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 his and, manly body. And by yeah. the with with that inexperience, his clearance off the line, you got to give him credit. Like Chelsea don't win the game without mm. that, so that's good. But if you're just looking, okay, like this team is desperate, they're just going to throw balls, long balls into the box. Who do you want? Not even, you wouldn't even say Rudiger Silva, and I think Zuma might have been useful. I'm just saying, but you know, that's that's a detour minute that mm. uh, that we won't get back, but. There's that. All right, let's yeah. let's talk about Mendy. And you would be, you're you're great for this. What's the last great goalkeeping performance from a Chelsea player that you can remember? Like, do you have one? Are you do you have one of those brains that you can remember? Like, that's a great game from Courtois, or a great game from uh, Kepa, or a great game from <laughs> Czech or <laughs> Hilari. <laughs> Kepa. Boy, Kepa, Kepa might have one of those like five save games, but that's one of the better games from a Chelsea goalkeeper I can remember. Like I will always remember the game against Brentford because it's oh the Mendy game. That's mm. that's what that is. Like, oh. That's his game now. Hundred percent, man. We've had some good goalkeeper performances in, in recent times. Obviously, we've had some good goalkeepers in it. Like in in recent memory, when you go to Fusi sure. Courtois, Petr Cech, Carlo Cudicini, I believe was very underrated. Like we've had some good goalkeepers, and I feel like one maybe I remember most recently was actually against Chelsea in the Champions League. It was actually Courtois, but for Atletico Madrid. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember that semi final. When we played against them in the second leg at Stamford Bridge, and just 3-1? the array of saves. Yes, yeah. when Diogo Costa scored uh, that penalty, and um, obviously it ended up being Terry's last Champions League game for us. While he starts to win a major trophy, and he ended up in tears at the end of the game. I remember like the saves that Courtois was putting off. It's just is, crazy. Is, was was that the game with uh, <laughs> with Aspilicueta on the wing? Oh, that that game was mad. We had Aspilicueta <laughs> on the wing. We had David so Luiz in midfield. Yeah, yeah, it was mad. But remember, bro, that was the same week that we were playing Liverpool in the league. Obviously, that was the famous game where a certain somebody yeah. slipped and, and caught yes, Liverpool their, yes, their first yes, Premier League yes. title. That was so a, okay. So we were competing check, on all fronts. Check got injured in the first leg. He separated his shoulder, right? And then it was yes. Mark Schwarzer, Australian goalkeeper. Who was playing mm. in that second leg? But yeah, that was the Aspilicueta starts on the wing game. Maybe Mourinho was like, ah, "Okay, I saw you. I, I saw what Di Matteo did with Bertrand in the in the Champions League final. Maybe I could try it." Bro, like, nah. Anyway, and again, more to the point, us Chelsea fans, we have suffered. We've watched some oh, like very defensive Premier football. <laughs> but um, <laughs> more to the point, we've seen some very good performances from Chelsea goalkeepers, and I think Mendy against Brentford was will be up there. Like, it was yeah, just right. incredible. The, the saves from crosses, the, the, the like the point black saves is making. Obviously, the save from the overhead kick. Just incredible. And I feel like it was good for me to see that from him because us as Chelsea fans, we watch him on a regular basis and he makes the one or two good saves in a defence that nobody keeps him well covered. So we see, oh, a very good goalkeeper. He's good with his feet. This stigma going around that, oh, he's not great with his feet is absolute nonsense. If you watch him on a week-to-week basis, you know that he's good with his feet. And he's usually, we know what it is. (laughs) And with Mendy... Again, not just his shot stopping, but it's his presence that for me makes him one of the best goalkeepers in the league. And this is why you don't now we have six foot goalkeepers for 70 million. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> <Vent>. <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't mind you letting it out, man, bro. This is your therapy session, man. It is what it is. You got to do what you got to do. Right, but no, again, just you... to Mendy's point, yeah, just, yeah. To, just, to, just to close on Mendy, I'm just happy that he got a game like this where now it's so, it was so clear that Chelsea were bad and that it was only down to Mendy that we got the three points. So mm. now rival fans will see, oh no, Mendy actually is that guy. He's as good as we've been saying. And yeah. hopefully he continues this form because that's the most important thing. If we want to be in this title race, we need our most put... important players to be performing. You 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 gotta have games like that when everybody's watching. So that was a game where you know yeah, it was basically the on only game on. The whole country's yeah. watching, and he stood on his head, as they say. I think that might be a hockey expression, mm. but maybe it works in in football as well. So I'm gonna give you one minute on Ruben Loftus Cheek. Go, bro. The amount of people who wrote this guy off it was it was mad. And not only did they write him off from a technical point of view, but they didn't even highlight the injury that he had. The the injury that ruined that ruined so many careers. I mean, there was a survey done on like I think fifteen players who had suffered the same uh, Achilles rupture um, from from nineteen ninety six till two thousand and seventeen, and I think of the fifteen, I think about more than eighty percent, sorry ninety three percent, they didn't they weren't the same. Their numbers all went down or they just stopped playing. Like it's very rare that you get players who return back to their to their top form. So it was good for him to get go out on loan to Fulham last season, get a full season in where he was not but there were no injuries. Yes, it was under Scott Parker who's not a great football manager in a very terrible football team. Um, but mm. at least he got the minutes in and he at least got exactly. to trust his body again, knowing that it can go a full season. And just to see him perform the way he is now, it's it's a pleasure, bro. It's a pleasure because I know he's got that in him. Yes That's one he's minute. Not, That's one like, minute. No, no, I got to say, I got to finish on this point quickly, which is that he's not like a Mason Mount where he's gonna be running around like, like pressing people like crazy. Headless like chicken football. he's not that kind of. No, I won't say that because that's disrespectful to Mason Mount. He's a good footballer. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. But he's a different kind of player. He's a bit more subtle. He's a bit more subtle, and I feel like he needs the game to come to him, which is why it is a bit of a master trick from Tuco. I'll give him his credit of playing him as a number six because for me, I always you know, thought he was more of a number like eight. It at first. At first, mm. I wanted him closer to the goal because I'm like, if you're going to beat a guy with dribbling, don't do it in the center circle. Do it around the D. But then I'm thinking, mm. you know what? If he plays him more forwards, again, no pun intended, he's going to have to press. Yeah. And the more he presses, the more likely it is that he injures his back because we know that issue that he's always had and the you know calf, uh, Achilles, ankle area. So maybe he's just mm. like, look, I can save you a little bit more by playing you deeper and I can use the qualities that I know you have to help the team progress the ball up the pitch, which is cool. So, yeah, I'm not going to rant about the game in Boston against hate that was on a bad pitch that didn't need to happen, that ruined a 10-goal and 40-game season for sorry and just derailed everything. I'm not going to get into that. But this is the thing about Rue. I don't know how I feel about him, though. In the sense that I think he loves Chelsea a little bit too much. That his career might have been better served to do what Abraham did. Where, all right, I'm just going to go to a place that wants me. And I'm going to show out there. You can't. I think he's going to turn 26 in January. I don't know if he's played 150, 200 senior matches. For a player that's this talented, obviously we can get into the injuries and things. But he should have had experience under his belt by the time he was 22, 23, because everybody knew, especially Chelsea people who stay up to date with the Academy, like, bro, there's a kid. He's like 17, 18, the comps that were coming out, like, bro, like, is this a man? Like, why is he so big and dribbling, looking like Eden Hazard, like doing all this stuff? Like, 
it was known that this kid is the next guy. The Chelsea dream of making it at Chelsea. I just I find it it's cool and everything, but I don't know how realistic that is or if it's something you should aspire to. All all the quotes is like I wanted to come back in Chelsea and prove that I can make it at Chelsea and Chelsea, Chelsea, Chelsea. It's just like, man, you could have gone somewhere else and been way further ahead, made way more money for your family and et cetera, et cetera. But and I hear that. That's a very it's a very he, good point. It's a very valid point. Drunk, Certainly from the outside. He, he's drunk the Kool-Aid, mm-hmm. man. You know, I just realized where that came from. Like you guys can do your own research, but you know, it's a crazy story. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I think I've actually got an idea of now where it is, but to the point of Ruben Loftus cheek, staying on task here. Um, <laughs> you know what? A video is actually surfacing right now of of Ola Eno, who obviously was spent time in the Chelsea Academy and was yeah. at Fulham in the loan or on loan um, with Ruben Loftus cheek last season, and he was talking about how about some an interviewer asked him who's like who's got the best mentality of any player that you've played with, and then he was saying, "Oh, it's Ruben Loftus cheek by a million miles," and obviously the interview was quite surprised and. Well, Aina's explanation was that he'd never seen somebody so headstrong in terms of I'm going to make it and I'm not going to let all these injuries that I've had deter me from what I'm going to do. Because he, he believed in his ability and he just said that, you know, I'm not going to allow these injuries to stop me from doing everything I can in, my, in terms of my rehab because he didn't have as such an easy road with his, with his rehab. Like in terms of somebody like a Hudson Odo, he also suffered a similar injury. With him, it was like a clean rupture of the Achilles. So you could kind of like rebuild it back um, a little bit easier. Whereas with Ruben, his Achilles sort of resembled like a horsetail. Like it was so fragile at that point that it's very difficult to build something that's that soft compared to the, how the, how strong the tissue was meant to be um, before the injury. So it was, it was such a devastating injury to, to suffer, but his mentality always allowed him to believe that, no, I'm going to be able to make it. I'm going to have to go on my loans and whatnot and keep working. And I'm going to get back to Chelsea. And yes, to your point, perhaps it would have been easier for him to just say, you know what? I don't need to make it at Chelsea. I just need to make it for myself. Mm. And who knows where that career path would have taken him. But you look at a career path now, even myself as one of the biggest Ruben believers, I, I saw him at times at Fulham and I thought, is he really going to make it at Chelsea? Should he just not go on mm. loan somewhere else? Maybe be a pretty good Premier League player somewhere else. But credit to him. Credit to him for always believing in himself. And now he's got himself back in the Chelsea fight at a time where people thought, oh, why is he even at the club now? We've just signed Sal Niguez. We don't need another, we don't need Ruben to try and be our fourth midfielder. We've got a fourth midfielder. Well, it turns out Ruben is maybe going to be our starting midfielder ahead of Jorginho. Oh, what? Do you know what his daughter's name is, bro? <laughs> La Freak. <laughs> <laughs> I just imagine, like, like actually, you know what? Maybe that's, maybe that's for like an, an outtake. We'll leave that. We'll leave that. We'll leave yeah, that. Leave it, leave but yeah, it, I'm just. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, but Ruben, it's good to see him back, and I'm happy because that's what this Chelsea team needs. Obviously, to an earlier point that we made, this team lacks mm-hmm. that bit of creativity, that bit of that bit of something that just gets you excited, like because like, when I look, we talked yeah. about yes, and when we look at like Liverpool, if we want, if I want to watch a game of Liverpool right now, Salah right now, maybe not last season, but this this Salah that we see now, he gives me that X factor that oh, I'm gonna watch Liverpool because he's gonna do something a bit special. With United, as dysfunctional a team as they are, he's still got players like Pogba, like Greenwood, who can do something that makes you feel, you know what, I want to watch this because they might do something a bit special. Obviously, Cristiano Ronaldo on this day, of course, they've got plenty of players like that. Mm-hmm. With Chelsea, does Werner give you that vibe? No. Um, <laughs> um, I'm just being real. He doesn't. Tammy Abraham's better. Um, Lukaku, does he give you that vibe? He's a good striker, but he doesn't give you the vibe he's going to do something special, like off his own back. But He's I'm not going to sell a ticket. 
Yes. Again, you look at our other players, obviously, again, just going briefly into our attacking players and our lack of creativity right now. Ziyech, I'm sorry to say, but he's a false prophet. It's, it's unfortunate, <laughs> but it is what it is. Um, Kai Havertz, um, second season, we'll see how he does. But again, very languid, very... But then also, he doesn't actually do much on the pitch. Yes, it's great having good football technique and whatnot, but what do you actually do on the pitch? The guy averages less than one dribble a game for Chelsea this season. It's poor. It's not good enough. Mason Mount, does he give you that wow factor? He's a good player, but no, he doesn't give you that wow factor. But Ruben, it's different. You feel like you're going to watch him and you're going to see him do a bit of skill, beat the press, and it's a quality player, so I'm just happy to have him back in the team. I said one minute, like five minutes ago, so... Um, bro, all I'm gonna say is, bro, just be happy that I didn't go longer in terms of what things we can do better with the formation. How five at the back's not a defensive system if you play certain players. We're White gonna House bring you back. Don't wing worry. Back. Don't worry. Don't I know. Worry. I know. I know. Uh, we're good. Um, let's talk about Newcastle quickly. Do you have an issue mm. with uh, you know the fans? They were flying the Saudi Arabian flag. They were dressing up with, I don't know what they would be called, but like Arab garb, the I robes. suppose. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, like this is an interesting social experiment almost <laughs> where like people who would have never, ever done this two weeks ago are like, okay, no, nah, I fuck with Saudi Arabia. These are my guys. <laughs> and then, you know, they're flying the flag. It's just like, okay. Um, and then... And you don't have to get into this if you don't want to, but I'll bring it up just because I find it funny. Oh, not funny, but droll might be a better word. Um, Journalists who work for particular newspapers that are very happy to espouse conservative, right-leaning views are complaining about the Saudi Arabian government, which they should, but their same employers empower people, i.e. the conservative government, who in February sold 1.4 billion pounds worth of arms to the Saudi Arabian government? Surely you should have a problem with your employer that perpetuates the political disposition that would put someone like Boris Johnson in charge of the United Kingdom for all intent and purpose. Rather than Newcastle Football Club, like we, we can do both, we can walk and chew gum at the same time, but the one and a half billion pounds of weaponry that is sold to Saudi Arabia is more important than who owns Newcastle Football Club. Now, as a football journalist, you're going to obviously look at the football side of things. But I do find that quite interesting. But that's just mm. me. You want to talk um, about to answer, Yeah, well, just to answer your question. <laughs> of, uh, <laughs> I mean, that'd be the easier thing to do, and we will. But um, what I will just say is, again, it depends who you are, if you've, what your issues are with, with the whole takeover. Obviously, it depends how you want to look at it, because as much as you said, there's certain human human rights atrocities that have been committed. Like, oh, obviously, I know you've you've heard of the story of the, the journalists being chopped up, who I believe was... Jamal Khashoggi was the name. But obviously, we know that they're recorded with people who have been found to be gay in the country and all things like that are, are very, very bad, let's just say. there. And... Did you know that the Khashoggi family was arms dealers? I believe that. I there. did not know that. It's so again, we can get into that. And obviously, Google now, is your friend, not you forward, but you know the listener. Go ahead. Yes. What I would say, <laughs> the interesting thing about that is now, again, fans, rival fans, will maybe use it as a like a stick to be Newcastle fans with saying that, oh, you're only rich because of these fans, because of these rich billionaires who have done all these bad things to get this, this to get to get their wealth essentially. Mm-hmm. But if you look at it, that wasn't actually the main reason why the Premier League. First of all, 
denied the um denied the bid to take over Newcastle last summer because again they made the bid last summer but they were denied and obviously that's when for me I found out about all of these human rights atrocities or found out at least in more detail about that but the actual issue was piracy and it's only now since piracy has been essentially an issue that's been resolved in Saudi Arabia because they were they were facilitating fans from their country being able to watch Premier League games for free via again piracy which I'm sure obviously none of us do here or anybody that's listening to the show does of course not I've never been on Reddit in my life yeah sport tech like soccer street I don't understand that at all so the thing is for me that was just the worst bit about it was that while it seemed like oh Premier League are against these social like these social injustices it was more about no it was the piracy that was their biggest issue and now that's been resolved now they're they're willing to let these guys they're willing to essentially lay in bed with these guys from a business point of view so when people want to say oh they want to get on a high and mighty horse about oh Newcastle are dealing with these with these bad owners. It's crooked money that's coming into the club. Well, like you can look at any billionaire you want to, and there's, there's sure there's some shady business going on somewhere. So, and even for the Premier League as your moral compass now, they allowed them in, and that was only because of piracy. So, you can't make it a billion is, dollars is without is. explaining people, man. It's just it's not. Yeah. I don't think it's possible. It's difficult. I mean, I would love to meet a billionaire that, that says they haven't, but then. They're probably lying to you, aren't they? So it is what it is. What is easy to talk about is the football. Um, I don't know where you want to go with the actual game itself, or maybe oh, just the, more the, the future. The, of the game itself is exactly what everyone thought it would be. The atmosphere was crazy. We got money now. Well, actually, the game wasn't exactly. What we might get to that in a second, but you know, the atmosphere is crazy. They start out great. They score early, and then like reality sets in. Firstly, there was the somebody. The game was paused. Because someone had uh, a heart attack or I don't know what happened, but there was a medical incident that happened. The game was paused for a moment of time. There's doctors in the stadium going and giving CPR like, you know, heroes, obviously, that uh, saved someone's life. So that's always interesting and indeed harrowing. And it's tough to watch. They, Whoever the camera people were, they were way better at this than they were in the Euros when it happened to Ericsson. It's not like they yeah. went into the crowd and were like, you know, let's get the close-up on the person. Like, they were more respectful. So I thought that was... That Even was cool. to now, bro, like, I still can't get the image of Ericsson's wife at the time. Like, the pictures that they got of her at the time, it was just like so insensitive. It was... When I was watching it, I'll watch something like that and I'll just think like, bro, like the emotion that that person is going through and those people are going through, like, I feel it. So I felt my heart starting to pump a bit weird because it was just like, yo, is, is he going to be okay? Like the stress that, that you were feeling, I couldn't imagine being his wife and then having a camera in your face. It's just sick. Yeah. But if I can be affected, his teammates and his family, like, and then they made them play a game. Like it's crazy. Anyway. Um, but yeah, that, that happened in Newcastle and I think the person is okay, but you know, uh, best wishes to, to whoever it is. And then, you know, you got to start playing football again. I don't, I'm not sure if this goal had the equalizer happened before or after, but, um, that was a thing, but yeah, reality set in like Newcastle are not a good team. They got new owners, but the transfer window hasn't happened. So yeah, they lost. (laughs) <laughs> it was just it was just their yeah. first game but yeah like this team unless it gets major investment in the winter is going to struggle to stay in the league because every team that plays them is going to want to beat them because oh you got you're the new guys okay let's test ourselves let's see if you're here so yeah the summer the winter window is going to be quite interesting because they're going to have to spend a lot of money did you see that team Werner could be going 
Lord in heaven, please let that this happen. That would be good. Please. <laughs> Incredible. Do you have like a quick point on this one? More of a question back to you, actually. Okay. Like, how long do you think it will take for Newcastle to be, uh, let's say, a top six challenging team? Because from what we know, Mike Ashley, while he wasn't a great owner, at least balanced the, book in, the books in a way where Newcastle have availability have, are have availability to spending 190 million in the next at least without being taxed by FFP so that's wonder for you do you feel like it's going to be a case of as some people have suggested oh they're in a race for the likes of Haaland in the summer Mbappe or they're going to have to shop in in Primark and try and get the likes of Tarkovsky maybe Ross Barkley maybe a team of uh, who knows like where do you think where do you see Newcastle going in like a step-by-step year-on-year basis. The idea that Mbappe or Haaland or any top player would go to Newcastle within the next 12 months, I find ludicrous. On the, just basically, yeah. do you think Newcastle are going to get top four this season? No. no. So you're telling me Mbappe, <laughs> Haaland, all these dudes are just going to go play? The, firstly, Mbappe can go get his money at Real Madrid, so it's not a case of money. Uh, Haaland will get his money wherever he goes. If he goes to PSG or Barcelona, Real Madrid, wherever, he'll get his money. So it's not like, oh, but they can get paid at Newcastle, like some crazy amount of money that they wouldn't get paid elsewhere. Mbappe, if he leaves on a free transfer, he's going to get like 80 million signing on bonus. Something crazy like that. Now, maybe you could say, hey, Newcastle will give him 200 million or something crazy, but they, I don't think they can afford that. So it's going to be a slow build, I think, and it's not like they've joined a league that's easy to get into the top four. Established clubs like Arsenal, Tottenham, Everton, I guess to a lesser extent, even like recently, Chelsea have been on that balance of like we with Lampard or Sarri or um, even last season with Tuchel. Like it's not a guarantee that you make top four because of United, mm. because of you know Leicester's emergence and all these types of things. So. Nah, there's no guarantee this is a success in the immediate. Middle to long term, I think, like, if they're consistent and they spend the money that they need to spend, which is maybe on net, like $100 million every window, give it two, three, four years, and they'll be in the top two, three, or four. Actually, so you reckon I, they'll I, be I, a Champions I, League challenging like, team in... I'd give it three years, which is six transfer windows. If they spend mm-hmm. on average like 150 million, that'll get you players. Unless, see, this is the thing though. In order to get players to go to Newcastle, if you have to spend over the top, then the money that you have available won't stretch as far as other clubs. So let's say Newcastle want to buy Ross Barkley, as you said. If West Ham wanted to buy Ross Barkley, Chelsea might make a you can have them for 20 if newcastle comes with their big ownership and their millions of alleged saudi money chelsea aren't going to settle for 20 million for that price they're going to ask for 30 40 50 because you want a player you have the money well let's see it and then we you can negotiate from a different place i say if they spend 150 200 a window on average but what quality of player are you getting and what price do you have to get them to go to Newcastle? Because it won't be the same as if it's United or Chelsea or Arsenal or others. You know, how much water is in the well? 
and it's it's going to have stuff. ramifications on everybody else as well because it's going to inflate the market if they have to spend 100%. 50 million to get Ross Barkley then what does that mean then how much is Chua many worth in that case exactly 200? it's it's <laughs> <laughs> well I mean with how much they've got available there's almost a question of who could they not afford but now you, you make a valid point in terms of the inflation it will it will make to the market I think also another Another um, doubt you may have of how quickly Newcastle are going to scale that the heights in the Premier League is uh, what type of players are you going to be attracting with that money? Are you going to be attracting mercenaries who are just there to collect the paycheck? I don't actually well, care about performing because <laughs> so that that could be that, I mean that probably could easily arise and also you can't just assume that oh because they're going to spend two hundred billion the first window then three hundred the next window that you're going to all get hits like we saw Man City's rise to the top mm. like they still have to go through the through the dirt of getting players like. Elano and whatnot, he would decent, but it didn't quite work out. They had the Rabinho era where it was a big signing. They obviously had like had some success, but not it wasn't great. It was only until they got Tevez from Man United that things really started to turn for them. But that or, was three or, or four years or, into the project. Or you buy the right player, but it's just not the right fit. If mm. you look at City and you think about Boateng, that's a great buy. Yeah. But it just wasn't the right fit at the right time. And he needed to go to Bayern in order to become the player that he was. So it's just because you have money doesn't mean you'll win like what you want you'll win games just based on the strength of your, your squad is going to be better than 15 of the other teams but doesn't mean you'll hit the heights like psg are a great example you know they're the only reason they're spending all that money is to win the champions league they haven't got it done yet city is kind of different english dominance or dominance in england is a paramount concern but the ultimate is winning champions league and they haven't done that so I'd love to know, what are the goals of Newcastle? Is it just we want to make this team competitive? Is it we want to win the Premier League year in, year out? Is it we're going for the Champions League? I like. I wonder what their goal is. And I'd have to listen more to is it Stavely and whoever the other people are. So, um, All right. Mm. Let's talk about FIFA. Forward, if you don't know, is a FIFA guy. I'm told he's very good. Scary good. Even from people who like play the game a lot, they're like, no, forward. He's like, he's like, he's the shit. So, as someone who plays the game of FIFA, but HH bought FIFA? I'm shocked. <laughs> All the evidence of the past four or five years. That I'm, like, I'm sad he's not here because I wanted to know the reason. Like, what happened in your life to where, like, yo, you've actually bought FIFA? But EA Sports are going to lose the FIFA license, I think. Like, maybe you would know better than me, but like, what's going on with the game? And is this so good? I only just. Mm. Hey, oh, this is good news. This is good news because for those who've played FIFA, you've known that the issues that FIFA has had for a long time. The main one of which, ultimate team, the game mode, which is catered towards just it's basically gambling. It's legalized gambling, but for a game that is meant to be just free plus, and you're essentially incentivizing kids to spend heaps of money on these electronic cards to essentially better their gaming experience. It's a pay-to-win system. And there's obviously been a court case against EA for a long time and FIFA for a long time that says this game can't be sold with the impression that it's for free plus, that it's it's fine for, for obviously for kids to play when it's not, when it actually incentivizes you know, spending money, essentially gambling. Um, so there's been many issues with the game in terms of the actual gameplay itself um, and for many issues. So to see that now EA are parting ways with FIFA, I think, again, I've only just seen the headline and I was just coming in as the news broke. So I think a lot of it is to also do with licensing. So um, it's interesting times because for the like football gaming community, like, okay, I'm technically a FIFA guy, but originally I was a PES guy. 
Like Pezzo's Pezzo's my thing, bro. Like from Pezzo four days, you remember the cover with Adriano on the front, like golden cover. But Pez was Pez was massive, bro. Pez was like was infinitely bigger than FIFA. Like certainly at least in the European market, certainly in the UK market. Now it's changed from Pez to eFootball. Yeah, they made it free now, which is a whole other madness. Then I don't know if you've seen uh, have like, you the, seen the, the faces, player faces. The graphics, Jesus yeah. crispy. <sighs> I mean, bro, I pay Pez in 04 and the graphics are better then. 15, 16 years ahead, how, how has it gotten worse? Like, it don't graphics, make sense. PS2 graphics are looking better than 2021 graphics. For real, bro, it's that mad. Time, and it's man. just a shame that Pez went a certain way because obviously the whole licensing issue that they had in the early 2000s, I mean, again, nobody and wanted to be I, playing I with well. no Fred. They sniping Juventus. They sniped, uh, you know, P- Piemonte, Calcio, they were doing all that kind of stuff, like, with Serie A. Yeah, but that's not enough. That's not enough when you're still playing with Merseyside Red versus London South London Blue. Blue. Like, all this nonsense, like, it's not the one. But um, <laughs> hopefully with EA being out of the picture with FIFA, we get a new a new, a new, a new maker with, with, with FIFA to, see, go and do, to do, make a great game because okay, the way the market is now, it's not the one. The, the question I would ask you is, is this more a case of EA leaving FIFA or FIFA leaving EA in the sense of are EA still going to make a football game? It just won't have the FIFA licensing with it? Or is this FIFA will have to shop the idea of a licensed FIFA video game to a different company like 2K or whatever the case may be? Because like EA aren't going to stop making a football game or is it just not possible if you don't have the backing of FIFA? I think without the back end of FIFA, it makes it difficult. I would have to assume um, from a legal standpoint, but I think it is more the latter. It's more a case of, I think they will go their separate ways and FIFA are going to just now be shopping around for a new maker of the game. And I think 2K is an interesting point because for a, lot of, for a long time, fans have wanted to see 2K produce the game rather than EA. Because yeah. EA have fumbled the bag for many many an occasion and even now when it comes to the game itself it's not playable for most people in terms of the 1v1 experience it's not uh, there isn't much of a skill gap it isn't that entertaining and for me personally like I only really play pro clubs to be honest I don't really mess around too much with ultimate team or anything else and I think that's the case for most fans for most people who, who play the game they're more they've gone seasons. more to, I do seasons but see, like with seasons career too. mode and all that it's just I mean, again, it's all down to personal preference, but it's yeah. just with the gameplay that it is now, it doesn't feel like a realistic simulation of football. And that's the reason why oh, we yeah, play it. We're not like for me, I'm not a massive fan of EA in general or FIFA. Like I actually hate FIFA in ge- like I actually hate FIFA, but I just love football so much <laughs> that I want to play the most the realistic simulation yeah. of it. Yeah. Exactly. And if I can't kick a ball in the park, then the next best thing is playing a simulation of it. It's just a shame that FIFA itself is bad now. At least with pro clubs, it's a bit more realistic, but yeah. still not quite there. Do you know what I see coming, though? EA is just going to... Okay, we, we don't have the FIFA license. That's fine. But we could just go to UEFA, and we could make a UEFA game. Or we could go to the Premier League, and we could license a Premier League game. I think UEFA probably makes more sense, because I don't think you need the backing of FIFA to be with UEFA. If they aren't independent entities, like there's like a large enough gulf between the two. So... Imagine EA just goes to your wafer and is like, look, we want to make a Champions League game. And then that would be the, very interesting. And, 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 then, and then you do deals with each league that is in the Champions League, which is basically all European teams. And then you could have individual leagues from there. So if EA wanted to get around it, like, look, we don't really need FIFA. We could just make a Champions League game and have leagues within it because they have the rights to the, to the Champions League. 
that's what's going to come next and people will buy that and you'll be playing ultimate team but just on Champions League Which nights or something I think for me the hope for, for for players for people who play the game who just want to play a good football simulator is that perhaps maybe it it, it becomes a case of EA versus FIFA in terms of making two new good games mm. but with the financial backing to actually invest properly into it because I think the reason why FIFA's gone so stale over recent years is their biggest competitor Pez has unfortunately fumbled the back I mean the mm. recent editions of the game have been terrible then they decided to go free with eFootball and there was a lot of talk about, oh, is this going to be like a new, a new coming? Is this going to be a new era where they're going to be competitive again? And I mean, all of like the trailers that we saw, the game, the player faces, like it's, uh, it's just a disgrace, to be honest. I don't know what's that about. If it can make but, HH yeah. by FIFA, then it's bad. It's bad, <laughs> That's the thing. bad. So, you know, what? aside from all of that, you know what we need to do? What? We need to have like a half hope football hut pro clubs team. That's what we need to get together. Because we could do like a tournament, but what would it, wouldn't it be more fun if we got a group of the, the boys together for whatever it's the hangout, or maybe you get like selections of people from different hangouts or whatever. And then, then you have like pro club teams. So maybe you can even make a, then a, a mini league or maybe just as one team that's managed by HH is then trying to climb up the divisions. And then could you imagine that now HH giving his team talks to these players analyzing their performances, <laughs> calling out the bricks. I mean, bro, it writes itself, bro. You might have an idea. But anyway, this has been Talking Tactics Podcast. We do this every Tuesday. Forward, we thank you again. What's the thing? Is it stepping stepping into the... Stepping into the breach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the saying, yeah. Stepping into the breach, Replace yeah. someone who is suddenly unable to do a job or task. Yes, stepping into the breach. So... Forward, we thank you for stepping into the breach, man. We appreciate it. Where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, on, on Twitter, as always, at forward underscore 100 for most things about Chelsea, football, a little bit of MMA talk in there, unboxing as well. You'll probably find some DNC Wilder memes because, yeah, that, that, that fight and that trilogy was, was, was peak box office entertainment, let's just say. So you can find me there for all things sports related mainly, but yeah, those three sports in particular. Forward's link will be in the description. He'll be around more often, I think. So follow us at Talking Tactics. If you're listening on Spotify, give us a follow. Apple Podcast, subscribe. It's free. Leave us a five-star review and we'll read it on the show. If you're on SoundCloud, hit the hearts. You guys know what it is. Talking Tactics podcast. Sometimes funny, sometimes serious. Always football. Indeed. Peace, peace, peace. Sports Social Podcast Network.